stand, if, we, if you don't mind, for the reading of God's Word. I want to honor the Word of God just by standing. I think it uh, shows respect for the Word. Um, we live by faith. The Bible says the righteous shall live by his faith. Uh, we were saved by faith. We walk by faith. We pray by faith. We come to church by faith. We're going to be taken up to heaven by faith. Everything we do, the minute that God begins to knock on the door of our heart, is done by faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. God responds to faith. And so today I'm going to start a series. Now, as a preacher, uh, these, uh, today, this Sunday, it's generally understood I'm going to talk about Thanksgiving, but I'm not going to talk about Thanksgiving. Because if you talk about faith, Thanksgiving is in there. Because the Bible says that after we pray, we're to thank God. Thanksgiving is the language of faith. It's because you're thanking God for what you prayed for before you see it come to pass. You're thanking Him before you see it. That's faith. That's faith. So I'm going to start a series today called Faith's Hall of Fame. Hebrews chapter 11. It's called the Faith Chapter. Uh, the, the Champion of Faith chapter, chapter. And I'm going to begin in the first three verses, and I'm just going to talk to you for a few weeks about faith, because folks, we're heading into a time in our country and in the world where we need to be walking by faith like never before. Our faith needs to be strong. That's why I spent four weeks talking about the importance of a strong inner man. Part and parcel of a strong inner man is to be strong in faith, strong in faith. So let's read starting at verse 1. It says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things you don't see yet. For by faith the elders obtained a good testimony. It was declared over them that they were righteous by faith. By faith we understand the worlds were framed, put in their proper place by the word of God. So that the things which are seen were not made of things that are visible. An invisible God created the visible world. You are not the byproduct of evolution. You're the byproduct of a creator, Elohim, God. He, he made you, right? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. We're asking you to build our faith. Would you pray with me, church, and say, Lord, today build my faith. I receive the word. Strengthen my faith. Clarify faith. Help me to walk better by faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Tell your neighbor we live by faith, and you can be seated. Bless you. Amen. We live by faith. Now, um, the apostle starts out the whole faith chapter defining faith. And you know, this is the only place in the whole Bible where faith is dissected and defined. There's nowhere else in the Bible where it defines it. it it's everywhere in the Bible. The word faith is everywhere. But it's never defined. It's only def defined right here. And so he's going to tell us two things about faith. He says, first of all, it's the substance of what you're hoping for. 
Faith is the substance of what you're hoping for. How many of you are hoping for something today? Believing God for something. Come on, let me see your hands. You're believing God, all right? Now watch this. Substance means the title deed to the promises of God. If you've got faith for it, if, if it's in the Bible, if the promise is for you and me, and the Bible is a book of promises, and by faith and patience, the Bible says we obtain the promises. How do we obtain the promises? By faith and patience. All right? Not just faith. If you don't wed faith with patience, your faith will croak because you're not willing to wait for what you're believing for. So it's by faith and patience we obtain the promises. All right? So he goes on and says that, that, that faith is the title deed to those promises. It's as good as a title deed. You've got a deed for your house, deed for your car. If it's paid for, you've got the title. Same thing. Faith is the title deed for what you're believing for. In other words, it's yours. It's yours. If God promised it to you, it's yours. You got the title deed. All right? Then it says faith is also the evidence of what you don't see yet. It's the evidence. That means it's the inward, the deep inner conviction that what you're believing for is yours. It's the evidence. Before you see what God is going to bring in answer to your prayer, your unwavering faith is the evidence it's on the way. The faith that God puts in our heart to, to pray for the promises and obtain them is a faith that's not moved by circumstances. It's not moved by what you see. It's not moved by what you hear. It's not moved by what you feel. It's not moved by your emotions. It sticks. It's like flint. It's steady. Faith is the deep inner conviction that what I'm believing for is on the way, though I don't see it yet. How many of you got some things on the way? I like to say they're in heaven's oven. They just haven't been put on the table yet. Talk about Thanksgiving. Amen? Nobody has to tell you there's a turkey in the oven when you walk in the house. You smell it. Okay? And you know what's coming. Well, faith believes God and never wavers until it arrives. So it's the evidence. Now, verse 3 tells us the creation not only came into being by the word of God, totally something out of nothing. Uh, God spoke and it came into being. It wasn't there until God spoke. There was nothing until God spoke. And God spoke and it came into being by the word of God. Not evolution, the word of God. Uh, how do you know where life began? It began with God. Evolution can't tell you where life began. But God tells you where life began. It began with him. He spoke. And there were humans, and there were insects, and there were reptiles, and I don't know why there are mosquitoes, but they came into being as well. God spoke, and everything came into being that was never there. The planets, the stars, the sun, the moon. He spoke, and it came into being. All right? And not only that, but notice he doesn't use the word created. By faith we understand the worlds were not created by the word of God, framed different word. What does frame mean? Once they were created, he put them in their proper place. He framed them. He framed them. 
I want Pluto here, Jupiter there, Saturn there, Mercury there, Earth there. I want them all spinning on their axis, and I want them revolving around the sun in X amount of time in perfect unity. The reason they don't crash into each other is because God framed them. Y'all are a quiet group today. Amen? God framed them. Now, after telling us these things that we understand by faith, then he goes into a, a sort of a roll call. He gives us 15 people who were champions of faith in uh, the Old Testament. He goes to 15 people that were champions of faith, and he names them. He names names. It's a roll call. And then he also, halfway through the chapter, he refers to others that are unnamed, who didn't get miracles of deliverance, who weren't taken out of their trouble, who wandered around in sheepskin and goatskin and having no place to live, and they lived a rough life, and they, they died that way and went to heaven that way. But even though they didn't get a miracle breakthrough, they were still people of incredible champion faith. So whether God takes you out of it or carries you through it, it is still all by faith. And the faith to go through it, I think, takes more than to get delivered. If you've got to go through something over a long period of time, that takes some real grit faith. And so he's going to talk about those. And he calls them still others. That's how he refers to them. Now, with every champion that the apostle points out, he tells us something about what their faith manifested. How did it operate? What did they see? because they believed God. What did they experience? What did God do in answer to their faith? So when he names these champions, 15 of them, he's going to mention in a little sort of a little mini biographical sketch of each one of them and what faith wrought in their life. He begins with three men that reach way back to the dawn of time, way back to the beginning. He's going to take us back to the first man that operated in faith. Here's their names, Abel and Enoch and Noah. They go all the way back to the dawn of time, all the way back when life just began. After God had freshly created everything, you've got these three men, Abel, Enoch, Noah. And here's what he's going to tell us about them. Abel approached God by faith. Enoch walked with God by faith. And Noah obeyed God by faith. Every one of them functioned in faith. And they all matter to you and me because remember, God has given us the writings of the Old Testament to teach us New Testament truth. So we look at these guys, we're supposed to learn something from these men. So that's what I want to do today. Let's talk first about Abel. Because Abel is the first man in the, in the Bible to operate in saving faith. Abel. It says, by faith, Abel approached God. It was the way he approached him. It was what he approached him in. He approached him in faith. All right? It says in verse 4, it was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. Now he's comparing how two men approached God, Abel and Cain, how they approached God. Abel approached him in faith and Cain did not. So what made the difference between Cain's gift and Abel's gift. What was the difference? Why did God like Abel's and he rejected Cain's? Well, the Bible tells us in Genesis 4, verse 3, when it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops 
as a gift to the Lord. Now, he's approaching God. They both were approaching God, and apparently they were approaching God uh, to atone for sin or to somehow establish a relationship with him, not just to celebrate the harvest, but they were approaching God uh, to take care of the sin issues. And I want you to notice, Cain brought a vegetable offering, the fruit of the field. He was a farmer. And so he brought something from what he had grown. That's what he brought to God. And the Bible says Abel also brought a gift. Now here comes Abel's gift. The best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but not Cain's. And Cain got very angry and it led to the first murder. And I'm going to talk about in a minute. But watch this now. So here comes Abel. He gives to God a vegetable offering. Here comes, I mean, not Abel, but Cain. Gives him a vegetable offering. Then here comes Abel. What does he give him? He gives him a slain lamb and shed blood and a sacrificed life. What what Abel understood was the gravity of sin and how it must be atoned for. He had already learned from the first parents that the only thing that atones for sin is shed blood. Because when God approached Adam and Eve after they had fallen, he gave them animal skins to cover their sin. And what were the animal skins? Well, something died and shed blood so their sin could be covered. So all the way back in the ancient Garden of Eden with the first couple, God established there is no forgiveness of sin apart from the shedding of blood. And that was the message of God to the early families of the earth. And Abel got it. And Abel said, the way I approach God is by God's way. The way to go to God is by God's way. I'm not going to go with my best idea. Cain went with his best idea. But Abel said, no, I'm going to go to God, God's way. And God's way is to come by way of shed blood. Not with my best idea. There's a vast difference between a good idea and a God idea. And God's idea, God's way, was come by way of shed blood. (laughs) Abel understood the gravity of sin. He knew what sin was doing to the human race right off the bat. And so he knew that it was only atoned for by the shedding of blood. So he placed faith in God's revealed remedy for sin, shed blood. Cain did not do that. Cain went the way most people of the world do. Well, I don't like the way of blood, so I'm going to go my way. I'm going to go by way of new age. I'm going to go by the way of my own goodwill or my own good works. I'm going to go my way. I'm going to go to God my way. He won't care as long as I come to him. As long as I have sincerity, God won't care. But I want to suggest to you today that Cain was very sincere, but he was wrong because he did not do it God's way. So he was actually in rebellion against God's revealed will. And God rejected his offering and he was not received. But Abel said, I'm going to go to God God's way because this is what he has said. I'm going by way of shed blood. And this reaches down through time. Because Abel's offering was an echo of the great offering that Jesus Christ would make one day on the cross. Abel's offering pointed, it was a type and it was a shadow of God's ultimate answer for the sins of the world. And that is his only son dying on the cross, shedding his blood for your sins and mine. So he said, I'm going to obey God and I'm coming by way of shed blood. There is no forgiveness of sin without shed blood. (laughs) 
And I think it's interesting he didn't bring the shed blood of a gopher or of a rat or of a rabbit or anything like that. He brought the shed blood of a lamb. What's Jesus, our sacrifice lamb? John the Baptist, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So because Abel chose the right way, he became the first martyr. He became the first martyr because when Cain saw that God received Abel's offering, Cain became angry. And Cain walked with him out in the field and Cain killed him with a knife because he had chosen God's way. And and we see persecution beginning way back in in the start of life, the start of all humanity. There was persecution for choosing God's way. And it's the same today. When you say, I'm not going to go by New Age. I'm not going to go by Islam. I'm not going to go by Buddhism. I'm not going to go by any other ism. I'm going to get to God His way, the shed blood way, the the way of the cross. And people never do like that. But the Bible says, Abel being dead, he being dead, still speaks. How does he still speak? Well, he still speaks by his testimony. You come to him by way of shed blood. And that's how he still preaches. Even though his life was taken, he's still preaching. He's still testifying. We must come to God by way of the shed blood of the Lamb of God. Three men hung on a cross that day. It was the man in the middle that mattered. The man in the middle mattered. Look at the man in the middle. And that's what God is saying to the whole world today. Our blood-soaked, confused, angry, hostile, rage-filled world. What does God have to say to them? When they say God doesn't really love us, if he loved us, why is there all this suffering? Here's what I say to them. Look at the man in the middle. That tells you all you need to know about the love of God. Because God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes on him would not perish but have everlasting life. Look at the man in the middle. The man in the middle is dying for your sins and mine. The man in the middle is breaking Satan's power. The man in the middle is making a new and a living way to get to heaven. The man in the middle is the one who is going to get up from the dead and raise us from the dead. The man in the middle is the one that's coming back someday, real soon. The man in the middle. So we learn from Abel to come to God by faith in God's way. That's how he operated in faith, saving faith. He's the first one in the whole Bible, the way of the shed blood of Christ. But then we come to Enoch. Oh, I love Enoch. Because it says, by faith, Enoch walked with God. From Abel, we learn how to approach God through the shed blood. But by Enoch, through Enoch's testimony, we see the importance of walking with God every day. Listen to this verse. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death. Are you ready? Enoch dodged his own funeral. Enoch never had a funeral. Amen. If Jesus doesn't come back in our lifetime, we're going to all going to have a funeral. But Enoch didn't have a funeral because God took him. And are you ready? One day he's going to take the whole church. Take us. Up. It says he was not found. That means they were looking for him. Because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony. He pleased God. His life pleased God. His lifestyle, his walk. Every day, Enoch got up and he was aware of God. He was aware of the eye of God. He had a fear of God. Not a dread fear or a tormenting fear, but a deep and a high respect for God. 
He got up every day knowing that God was watching and weighing every one of his thoughts and words and actions and attitudes. And he walked with, with, with an eye turned up towards God. He wanted to please God every day. And so God took him. Who was this man, Enoch? You've got to reach way, way back in time to know who he was. He's the seventh man in descent from Adam. And he's the great-grandfather of Noah. Noah had a great-granddaddy, and his name was Enoch. He did not write the book of Enoch, by the way. The book of Enoch is a false book. This real Enoch right here, he lived just a few generations moved from Adam. And his great-grandson was Noah. And he not only walked with God, but he was a prophetic man. He was very prophetic. The Bible says the first coming of Jesus was given to Adam and Eve in Genesis 3.15, where God promised after their fall, I'm going to raise up a bruiser of Satan's head. And he prophesied, predicted the coming of Messiah way down the tunnel of time. So Adam and Eve received the first prophecy of the first coming of Jesus as the little baby born in a manger in Bethlehem. But the, the, but the second coming of Jesus, the second advent, when he comes back and stops the war of Armageddon and judges the nations and sets up his millennial kingdom, that second coming that every eye will see, even those who pierced him, that second coming was prophesied by Enoch. Jude quotes him, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints. Who's the saints? You. Are you ready to come back with Jesus one day? Say, well, I don't... I'm serious. You really believe that, Jeff? Oh, I absolutely believe it. Well, I don't feel like a saint. I don't either, but you are. You've been declared a saint by the blood of Christ. God sees you through the blood. And so one day we're going to come back with Jesus. Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints. And Enoch prophesied that millennia before the event that hasn't even yet happened. Scripture says he was translated or supernaturally taken from the earth and totally avoided, as I said, his own funeral. He avoided it. One of two men did. Elijah avoided his funeral and Enoch avoided his. One day Enoch got up, went about his normal routine, probably prayed, said, Lord, make it a great day. Here I go. Probably had some coffee. I just like to think so. started his day maybe he was walking down the road who knows what he was doing but let's just say he's walking down a road let's say that you and i were there and we were watching him walk down a road it's this beautiful road forest on either side dirt road he's just walking enoch all by himself we're watching him suddenly he's not there where'd he go i didn't see him step off to the right or to the left he walked into nothingness He was there, and then he's not. I saw him, and then I didn't. Where'd he go? They searched for him. They put out a search party, got the bloodhounds, looked for Enoch. Because, you know, he was 365 days or years old. 365 years. Enoch lived 365 years and, and was walking in close fellowship with God. And one day he disappeared because God took him. 365 years. They lived a long time back then. When you were 100, you started school. (laughs) Right? When you were 200, you got married. 
They lived a long time back then, 365 years old. He's walked with God all those centuries. And then he's not on the road. The hounds don't find him. The people don't find him. Why? Because you can't find somebody who's no longer on earth. He was taken. What was he? He's a type of what will happen to the church one day. He's a type and a shadow. Why did God give us this in the Bible? So we would know what a rapture looks like. So we would know what a rapture looks like. What does it look like? You don't just start floating up, waving hello to everybody on the way up. It says, in a moment, in a moment, in the twinkle of an eye. How fast is the twinkle of an eye? It'll be that fast. In a moment, in the twinkle of an eye. Moment, atomos, the Greek word, atom, we get from atomos. A moment of time so short you can't split it. They're gone. They're gone. Where'd they go? Can you imagine the search party after the rapture? There was a search party for one guy. Where did Enoch go? The Bible tells us he disappeared because God took him. That's a picture of the rapture. That's why God gave it to us. He walked with God. He walked with God. He walked with... How important is it to walk with God every day? When I read stories like that, I'm real sure every morning, Lord, forgive me of any sin. Help me to be completely right with you today and to walk with you today. Because, Lord, I want to please you today. I want to please you in my thoughts, in my words, in my actions, my attitudes. I want to please you. Because, Lord, when you come, I don't want to be one of these that are taken by surprise. I want to be ready for your appearance. Because one day, you and I are going to be here doing our every day, every day, and then taken. Just like that. Some of you are thinking, that makes me a little bit nervous. I don't know that I want to go that quick. And what does it say? The Lord will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the last trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ are going to come out first. And those who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds, with, with Jesus. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Amen. Amen. Yeah. The very next verse, this is worth noting. The very next verse tells us how Enoch's faith began. Because when you read uh, chapter 11, verse 6, we all know the verse, he that comes to God must believe that he is. Who's he talking about? Enoch he was the subject in verse 5, so he's telling us in verse 6 how Enoch's faith began and ended. He says, you must believe that God is, and he rewards those who diligently seek him. What's he saying? He's saying that's what Enoch came to. One day he just said, God is there. God exists. There's a God. He's there. I believe he is. And then I believe something about his character. Uh, and who revealed this to him? Because there was no Bible. Enoch had no Bible. There was no Bible till Moses came centuries later. There was no Bible. There was no Genesis. There was no nothing till Moses so Enoch came to all this with no Bible. God revealed it to him. 
God said, I am. And guess what? I'm going to tell you more about myself, Enoch. If you really seek me, I'm going to reward you. So he believed in God's existence and he believed in God's character. He believes that he is and he rewards those that diligently seek him. So he began to diligently seek God. And how did God reward him? He was and then he wasn't. That's how God rewarded him. Took him up. No funeral. No death pains. No saying goodbye. Just boop. Have y'all been eating turkey? (laughs) You're quiet today. You know what I know? You're thinking. You say, was this really real? It's as real as you being saved. It's as real as you being saved. We're going out one day. In a moment, in the twinkle of an eye. Amen. Amen. One day all over the world, the children of God through faith in Christ are going to be caught up. We're going to get up like any other day, start our business like any other day, but it will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. When the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will also be caught up, transformed. So by faith, we learn from Enoch to walk with God. Abel, how to approach God through the blood. Enoch, walk with God, seek to please him, and he rewards those that diligently seek him. Then we come to Noah and we're going to close. Here's Noah. Noah obeyed God by faith. He obeyed God. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. Look at those words, holy fear. In holy fear, Noah believed God. He wasn't in dread fear of God like some tormenting thing. He had high respect for God. Deep respect for God. He believed. He, 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 he worshipped God. And he said, God told him, I want you to build a huge ship, multi-tiered. I want you to start immediately. Start gathering the timber and start building a boat. The Bible says the reason God did this is because earth had gotten so sinful, God had to bring judgment. Now, I want to tell you today, church, You don't hear this much from pulpits anymore, and you should be hearing it from every pulpit. There's a judgment coming. There is a judgment coming. You say, well, really, Jeff? Well, that sounds kind of grim. It is grim. There's a judgment coming. It says the the small and the great are going to be brought before God. It says death is going to give up those that are in it. The sea is going to give up the dead that are in it. And, And every man and woman that has ever lived on earth is going to be brought before God. And the books will be opened. And the book of life will be opened. And we will ju- be judged according to what's in the book. All of our acts, all of our works, all the way that we spent our life will be revealed. And you need an attorney at a time like that. And there's only one, and his name is Jesus. Amen? Amen? So God told Noah, there's a judgment coming, Noah. I want you to begin to build. God said, here's the way the world has become. The Lord saw that humanity had become thoroughly evil on the earth, and every idea their minds thought up was always completely evil. Nobody in Noah's day thought one good thought for one microsecond. Man had been so corrupted, so backslidden, and gotten so far away from God that not one time did they ever think a clean thought. Every thought in their mind 
Now, I used to read that and go, wow, that's pretty bad, until I saw our culture. Now I see that it's very possible that, that a culture can get so corrupt that there's never a righteous thought thought. Because, I mean, folks, are we almost there, or am I just reading the culture wrong? No, we're almost there. And then God also said, not only that, Noah, but the earth is filled with violence through them. See, the further away you get from God, the more violent you become. Violence is the result of being away from God, far from God. Violence and far distance from God are cousins. Look at the violence in our culture today, in our world. It's a world of bloodshed. It's a, it's a veil of tears. It's a veil of uh, people, people are weeping, hurting, crying. You know, just yesterday, I, I, I was out in my neighborhood and I came across this, this nice older lady who was in her yard and I began to talk to her and, you know, there was this, she was in a really nice house. But before long at all, she started telling me how she had been diagnosed with cancer and it was really bad cancer and she's sitting here opening up to me and I looked at this beautiful home and I thought, I don't care if you're in a castle, you're still in a fallen world full of tears and it's a world that needs the man in the middle. We need the man in the middle. Because there's your hope, there's your future, there's your victory, there's your all. The man in the middle who died on that cross for us. And Noah built it far inland. He built the boat where there was no water. God said, build it where there's no water. So in the natural, it seemed like a very crazy command. But for 120 years, Noah worked on that ark. And for 120 years, he preached to his generation. There was a judgment coming and nobody believed him. And he worked on this ark. And he became the, the brunt of the jokes. All the parents made fun of the crazy guy down the street building a boat where there's no water. Because when God does something, it doesn't make sense to the natural mind. Because Noah was predicting that something was going to happen that had never happened before. There had never been rain. The Bible says that there, the earth was water from a mist that came up out of the ground. There had never been rain. He was predicting something was going to see, be seen in the sky that had never been seen. He said water is going to come out of the sky. It had never happened. What's our message? Something's going to be seen in the sky that has never been seen. His name is Jesus. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. There, there are parallels to the story. And Noah said it's going to rain. Water is going to come out of the sky. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yuck, yuck, yuck. The crazy guy down the street. But Jesus validated Noah's story. And here's what Jesus said to the generation that would see his return. Jesus said, when the Son of Man comes, it's going to be the same as what happened during Noah's time. In those days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving their children to be married. Right up to the day Noah entered the, the boat. In other words, they were doing life as usual with no concern for God. They knew nothing about what was happening until the flood came and destroyed them all. It'll be the same, the same, the same when the Son of Man comes. They'll be doing business as usual and violence will be covering the earth. Sexual perversion will be rampant and he will come. And it'll take everybody by surprise. People in our day will be flippant about divine warnings. Engrossed in earthly life. No fear of God whatsoever. And he will come again. Bang. And it'll be eternally too late. Noah obeyed God and got into the ark. 
There was only one place of safety, that's the ark. There were no other places of safety, it was the ark. There were no other boats, it was the ark. The message of God was get into the ark or perish. Get into the ark or you will die. Get into the ark or you're going to die in your sins. Get into the ark. There's one place of safety, the ark. If you get into it, you'll be safe. If you don't, you won't. What does he say to us today? Jesus is the ark of the new covenant. Get into him, you'll be safe. Get into him, you'll not experience wrath. Get into him, you'll be saved. Get into him, the judgment won't touch you. Get into him. And if you get into him, you're delivered. You're saved. You've got salvation. And in Noah's day, amen, in Noah's day, nobody believed him. He had no converts, not one. Him and his wife, his three boys and their wives got into the ark, and God shut the door. And it began to happen. Water out of the sky. And then it picked up until it was a flood. And the flood began to beat against their homes, took their homes down. Only one thing was safe, that crazy guy's ark. But it was too late because God shut the door. I'm just telling you the truth, folks. There's a judgment coming. And, and we need to be telling people there's safety in one thing. Not in Buddha, not in Muhammad, not in New Age, not in hugging a tree, not in doing good, your own good works. There's only, there's only salvation in one thing, the Ark of the New Covenant, Jesus. That's it. Stand with me, would you? So today, we learn by Abel's example to approach God the right way by the shed blood of Christ. By Enoch's example, we learn to walk closely with God every day because you never know when you're going to be taken. And by Noah's example, we learn to obey God by getting into the ark he has provided, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's lift our hands to the Lord and say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your blessing. Lord, we thank you for the ark of the new covenant. We thank you for these men of faith in the dawn of time that showed us beautiful things that faith brought to pass in their lives. How you answered their prayer. How you honored a walk of faith. How you honored their faith. Now with our heads bowed and your eyes closed for just a moment, let me just ask you a question. Are you in the ark? Are you in the Ark of the New Covenant? Do you know you are? If you called out on Christ, and, and believe me, trust me, I'm not here in any way, shape, or form to point a finger to anybody. Uh, listen, I was saved in jail as a 16-year-old. I'm here because God had mercy on me. But I am here to let you know that to be safe, to be saved, to be secure for now and eternity. you got to get into the ark. His name is Jesus. We say, how do I get in the ark? It's easy. You say, Lord, forgive me of my sin. Come into my heart and be my Savior and my Lord. I'm calling on you now, Lord, to come into my heart. Help me into the ark. And in a moment, how close is God to you? Close as a prayer. He's as close as a prayer. I prayed when I was 16. He saved me. You pray now. He'll save you. So with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I'm going to lead us in a simple prayer. 
It's the prayer of salvation. And maybe you've drifted from the ark. You've gotten out there and caught up in the things of the world and you've drifted. I'm not condemning you in any way. I just want you to know you can come home today. Come home to Jesus today. Let him wrap his arms around you. Let him receive you. Let, let him fill you with his peace in his mighty name. So I'm going to pray a prayer. And you can pray it with me. How long has it been since you prayed? It might be years that you can pray right now. Say, Lord, in Jesus' name, I believe you died for me. Come on, you can pray it. Do you need to be in the ark? Are you sure? Pray it now. Say, Lord, forgive me of all my sin and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. I need Jesus. I place my faith in you as Savior and Lord. Now for those that have drifted, say with me, Lord, forgive me for getting distance from you. I want to come back home. I want to be in the center of your will for me. I want to get back in that walk that I used to know. So forgive me, Lord. And receive me back and help me to get my feet back on solid ground in Jesus' name. Now with your heads bowed, if you say, Jeff, I prayed that with you. I'm not going to embarrass you, I promise. But raise your hand and say, I prayed that with you. Just if you prayed with me, raise it high. I see you back there and back there all over this place. Many people. God bless you. All of you with your hands raised, would you look at me a moment? I want to meet you so bad. I want to meet you. And it's very important you meet me because I want to pray with you again and I want to give you something to take home with you that is going to really help you in the prayer you've just prayed. So I've got something I want to give you, a little sack full of stuff. I want to give it to you today. So if you prayed with me, as soon as I dismiss, would you come this way? Do I have, can I get you to nod and say, I'm coming? I'll come this way. Amen? Don't worry about the cowboys. Don't worry about getting out to a restaurant in time. You'll get a better seat if you honor God and come down. Okay? Come down and let me pray with you because I really want to meet you. I did that when I got saved in jail. I was the only one. But I met the preacher and it was, it was good for me. So, Amen. Can we thank God for what he did today? Amen.